Let me pray. Father in heaven, we are here because we really believe that you are God and you're worthy of worship. So the very first thing we do on a, on a week's day, starting the week, is to come and to worship you. To tell you you are first. To tell you that all of our, all of our stuff belongs to you. To tell you that the first of our increase is yours. Everything we earn, first of that is yours. You are the most important person in our life. Because if it wasn't for you, if you hadn't called us by name, if you hadn't called us your sons, we wouldn't have an identity, we wouldn't have forgiveness, we wouldn't have a reason to live, we wouldn't have purpose for living. It's all because of you. And then you put all of your purposes and wrap them up in a face, in a person, in the Lord Jesus. And you sent him here so that he can shake our hands, embrace us, give his life for us on the cross, and raise us up so that one day we will be with him and with you forever and ever and ever. This is your doing, and it, it blows our minds. It blows our minds that you think that much of us, that you want us, uh, you want a relationship with us. Lord, there are people here this morning who are sick, some those who are physically ailing, and they need you to heal them, and they need to know that you can do it. There are those who are guilty and struggling with all sorts of guilt, emotional guilt, physical guilt, mental guilt. There's what you never wanted, Lord. And that's what Jesus died for. That's what he shed his blood for. In the name of Jesus, would you help them place their faith in Christ so that today, today, the 2nd of December, they may leave from this place free of any burden of guilt and lifted high because of the Lord Jesus. Lord God, I pray that you would speak good news and good word into those who are struggling with guilt. For those who are struggling with relationships or struggling with other issues in life, from pollution to uh, all sorts of ailments, Lord, I pray for them this morning. Would you say a word of healing and they will be healed this morning? Would you say a word of encouragement and they will be encouraged? Lord, you know where their hearts are, whether they're lonely, whether they're anxious, whether they're struggling. When Jesus walked the earth, he looked at crowds and he had compassion on the crowds. And he said that they were harassed and helpless. Lord God, we're no different than that crowd when we don't have you. So Father, we need that shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will never be caught by fear. For, my, for the Lord is my keeper. The Lord is my shade upon my right hand. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You are our shepherd. Father God, if there's anybody here this morning who doesn't know you personally, even if they've been going to church, even if they've been grown up as a so-called Christian, even if they've, uh, they think that they belong to you, but they don't know Jesus personally, Lord, I pray that you would give me the privilege of introducing them to you and introducing them into an intimate relationship with God that they never thought possible. Release your anointing this morning. Make your presence felt, I pray, so that we may respond to it, to, to truth and to your presence. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today, we are in one of the toughest passages in the Bible. Toughest passages in the Bible. There's hundreds of chapters in the Bible and today is one of the toughest. It is one of the most difficult to teach because it talks about false teachers. It talks about false churches. It talks about false fake pastors and fake prophets. So, I want to set the stage before I do that because there are those of you who know, know Jesus, love Jesus, you've been walking with Christ for a long time. Some of you are searching, some of you are curious and you may be you know, anywhere on that spectrum of your journey to God, with God or for God. So I want you to understand where I'm coming from. In this church we teach scripture, we go verse by verse and whether you like it or not, whether it's relevant or not, we teach it. So that when I stand before Jesus, I can say that I taught the whole counsel of God. So when a message is not relevant, take it in so that one day the vitamins will kick in. One day the, the wisdom will kick in. So we teach and we continue to keep going. So if you are here and you have different needs, the message doesn't change. You change. Got it? Got it? Very good. 
Okay, so Peter writes a second letter, this time with some deep concerns about the fundamentals of our faith. His primary goal is to warn and strengthen, warn and strengthen believers in three different areas. And those are the three chapters we said. Chapter one, people will fall away from the faith and forget their savior. People will fall away from the faith, but a strong relationship with Christ will give them an advantage. Number two, that's what we're looking at today. People, can you pick me up a little bit so I don't scream? And if I start screaming, just, just wave out to me, okay? People will be swayed away by false prophets, but a strong working relationship with Jesus will keep them grounded. People will become apathetic towards God's judgment day, but a strong relationship with Jesus will keep them from getting carried away from the, by that apathetic uh, attitude. So this letter is for the mature people, those who've been walking with God, so that they don't get swayed away. Okay, so get the difference. One is bringing people to God. Another one is those who have come to God but are being deceived by the evil one. They are being deceived and carried away. We're trying to keep them safe because there are false teachers. Wherever there's a truth, there's going to be a lie. Where there's a truth, there's going to be a lie. So today Peter is going to deal with the problem of false teachers. False teachers. There's the word prophet in the Bible. And the word prophet in its original means two things. There's foretelling. That means you're talking about the future. Bhavishya. You're talking about what's going to happen. And there's foretelling. That means you're slamming home what has happened is going to happen. You are teaching. So there's prophecy and there's teaching. Prophets and teachers. Got it? Yes? No? Hallelujah. Very good. Okay. Hallelujah is a good one. So this is a serious warning for us today because today more than ever we've got Twitter, we've got WhatsApp, we've got TV, we've got uh, internet TV, we've got internet radio, we've got the net itself, we've got books. It's endless and from every corner everyone has got an opinion about what God's word says. And everyone is teaching and everyone's a self-acclaimed or whatever. Are you with me? So today more than any, there's more lies out there and more accessible and more better presented with all the lights and the pizzazz. So we want to warn. We want to warn. Like you want children, like you want loved ones, we want to warn. We would do well to take heed. These people, these teachers are ashamed to the faith and they're ashamed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ and Christianity is looked down on for a lot of what these fakes have done. And there are fakes. Because where there's a truth, there is a lie. The question is, can you tell the difference? Can you tell the difference? So we would do well to take heed to this. Be very, very careful. Just because somebody says Jesus doesn't make them a Christian. Just because somebody is speaking in church from a pulpit doesn't mean it's the truth. And even if I am telling you something, go home and check it. Go home and check it. That's why when I pray and I say, thank you Jesus, that you gave the word to us in English. Some of you laugh at that. But that's why I say it. Because if it was in Greek or Latin, we would need another. Alright, so we're going to jump in. And we're going to go through scriptures, but there's a middle part that I'm going to rush through. You can always go to the audio and check that out. For we do not follow, we did not follow cleverly devised tales. Who's speaking to whom? Peter is talking to a general, general Gentile audience. And he's saying, for we, the apostles, the teachers, did not follow cleverly devised tales. We didn't make this up. We didn't make this up. We didn't find some story and go cook up and masalify it. When we made known to you two things, the power, that's the regeneration, and the coming, that's the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. On this matter of how you become saved, how you become like Christ, how you get saved, and on the matter of Jesus' return, we have not lied to you. We did not cook up stories. We told you the truth. Now, how do you know we told you the truth? When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were, see it, eyewitnesses. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What's he talking about? Peter was one of them who stood around when Jesus was transfigured. Do you remember that one? So they saw his glory. They saw his majesty. And the second thing they saw was when he rose again. So after he rose again, they saw him. So what, is a, what, what certifies an apostle? What certifies a prophet or an apostle? Number one is that he heard 
the word directly from Jesus, the risen Christ. The risen Christ. If you did not meet Jesus personally and hear a commission from him personally, you are not an apostle. You are not a prophet. You are a fake. So there are only 11 plus 1. Judas went and hung himself. He was already a fake. And then Paul comes in in the last and adds to the 12th and completes the 12th. Got it? So when he comes and he adds, in order to become an apostle and write scripture to the Gentile world, he had to see Jesus personally. Did he see Jesus personally? Yes, he did. Wrote to Damascus. Jesus personally met him and he recognized Jesus and he said, Lord, what would you have me do? And he got a commission straight from Christ. Straight from Christ. So you have to have met the, the, the Lord Jesus in his risen state personally and have been commissioned by God, by Christ, to go out. So, we did not cleverly uh, follow cleverly devised tales, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, not only did we see him personally, we also heard something that validates our message. Verse 17, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father. When did that happen? When did he receive honor and glory from the Father? Such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. So there was a time when God validated Jesus and made a statement about him. God the Father spoke about Jesus and validated his ministry and we heard God tell him that. When was that? At the baptism. When he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is my son. So God validated him. We heard it and we saw it. You can trust us. You can trust the gospel we are writing to you. When we write, we didn't sit in some basement, go to some Bible college or have some weird experience and out of that we're speaking to you. We met Jesus personally. We saw him in his glory and God the Father through heaven's clouds screamed out, this is the guy. This is my son. So we are coming to you with that surety, that, in, that, that clarity, that validation. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Beautiful. So, you see the so? Next verse. So, that's where you move on. So, we have the prophetic word made even more sure. That's wrong English. Because sure is sure. You can't be more sure. If you're more sure, then you were not sure in the beginning. But the Greek has that emphasis to be able to say, we were sure, now even. Are you with me? Now that we couldn't be surer about this. We are sure. So it would do us well to pay attention to a lamp, like a, as a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Oftentimes the morning star is a cinnamon for the Lord Jesus. So that's an interesting take. Verse 20, but know this first of all. And he does a precursor to what he's really going to say in chapter 2. Okay, he's going to tell you something about false prophets. But before that, he does this. He says in verse 20, know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture, I repeat, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter, underline, highlight, asterisk, memorize, is a matter of one's own interpretation. My dear Brother, you can't just pick up the Bible, open any part and say, ah, you know what, I think, I think it's saying this and I think it's saying that. That's called eisegesis. I think it's it. This is, in my opinion, the truth for me is no. This is not Oprah. When it comes to the word of God, the word of God, look what it says. When it comes to the word of God, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human, read it. You will not see this anywhere else from CNN to Times of India to philosophy. You will not see these words. That no prophecy of scripture is a matter of anyone's own interpretation. Nobody can have their own take, own version, own twist on the Bible and God's word. And for no prophecy was ever, ever made by an act of human will. But this is what happened. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Men Moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Key word, moved, key word, from. So when they said, this is the word of God, they were actually taking it from God and giving it to you. It wasn't about them. Today, it's all about them and their name. 
They took it from God. So God has his men whom, through whom he has moved to get the truth to you. Today maybe you're a Hindu or a Muslim sitting here. Maybe you're a philosopher or a Buddhist or I don't know what your religious background is. But God wants the truth reaching you purest, unadulterated, uncontaminated. God wants you to know the truth. First of all, there is a truth. And number two, he wants you to know it without any violation. And who are these people who violate and contaminate the truth to get it to you so that you will palate it well? False teachers. False teachers. We need to be careful about that. Not just those who know the truth and are swayed away, but those who don't know the truth because you're searching for the truth. So what do we do? There are men moved by the Holy Spirit who spoke from God. So God had his men. 1500 years, 40 authors, 66 books. All talking about the same person and consistent to the same truth. That Jesus is the one who came. Jesus is the one who bled and died. He bought your sin. He bought your, 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 your brokenness. And he fixed it by taking his own blood to the cross. And then sprinkling it on the mercy seat in God's own temple. In God's throne. So if God has his men, Satan's going to have his men. So that's how he set us up for chapter 2 verse 1. Now in your notes I said 2, 2 Peter chapter 1. That's a typo. That's a typo. Please make it 2. Okay. 2 Peter chapter 2. And verse 1 says, But, but false prophets, false prophets also arose among the peoples. So circle false prophets and circle the people, please. Let me explain. Circle false prophets and circle among the people. He uses the word but because he's referring back to the last verse of the previous chapter. Men of God, moved by God, spoke the truth and brought the truth to you. But while they were doing that back then, while they were doing that, false prophets also were there back then. So we're talking about tense, we're talking about the, the past. So in those days, false prophets also arose among the people. I don't have time for this, but I can send it to you on WhatsApp. The people is referring to the Jewish nation. The people. So God has sent a light to the people. You have Gentiles and the people. So there's a phrase here that these people are recognizing that he's talking about the Jews. Now in the olden days, God had prophets. And the prophets spoke for God. Balaam is one example. Uh, He did badly, but we'll talk about it. So prophets spoke for God. And in that day, there were also false prophets. And they spoke to the people. Okay, get to the present. Just as there also will also be false teachers among you. So now he's talking about how it was then. It's also going to be among you. But you see a change in the terminology? False prophets has become false. Ah, got that? So those were false prophets foretelling. But teachers are those who know the truth and they falsify it and they make it palatable and they make it different and they make it subservient to their own needs and they fool people through it. God has his men, Satan has his men too. Because his main goal is to deceive the elect to deceive God's people. Let's get into it. But false prophets also arose from among the people, just as there also will be false teachers among you, between you, with you, who will secret. So he's not talking about out there. Are you with me? It is not in the context of pagan religion. It is not in the context of outside the church that he's talking about false teachers. What is the point of having them there? False teachers are right here in the church, in the body of Christ. Satan plants them and brings them right in. So just as men of God know that they are men of God and that they are bringing God's word, false teachers know that they are deceiving God's people. They may be self... uh, What's the word? They might have convinced themselves. They They might be living deluded that they have got it and what they're saying is the truth but the way they are, but what they are teaching, they know is not completely true. So they have changed it about. Let me explain how they do this. When they are changing a truth and they are making it palatable for themselves or for you, they will bring themselves as the authority in the middle because they are so convinced about it and they will move their finger a lot and they will tell you, if you question me, 
If you question my revelation, my authority, you are under damnation. You are under condemnation. And they'll use that language a lot and that, that, that sign a lot. And you'll see a lot of them every now and then throwing in that little bit about, don't question me. Don't. You will be, it'll be bad for you if you question me. If you go against me, you're going against God. Whoa. Whoa. The Bible says, test every spirit. The Bible says, go back and check the word of God. And I tell you this morning, don't even believe me. Go study it for yourself. Don't even believe me. Go study it for yourself. So it's among the people, from among you. So Satan has his people planted right in the middle. And what do they do? Here's what they do. Who will secretly introduce what? Destructive heresies. What are heresies? Wrong teachings. Heresies are wrong truths, truths that have been modified to accommodate wicked, lazy, self-indulgent people. They want heaven, but they want earth thrown in. They want heaven, but they want the flesh thrown in. Why can't I have both, is what they're saying. So they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. They'll get to a place where they even deny Jesus, as the only way. They will deny Jesus as the only way. And that's a big sign. That's a huge sign. Bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Here's the problem. Verse 7. Sorry, verse 2. Here's the problem. Here's the big modern day problem. Am I on? Can you hear me at the back? Am I yelling too much? Say it with me. Read those three words. Many will. No, just those three words. Many will follow. Look at me. Where you see many, you can be pretty sure that the truth is not being embraced in its entirety. There is a lie been thrown in there. Whenever there are masses and thousands of people thronging towards a teaching, towards a teacher, towards a ministry, you can be sure that there's been a little bit of mismanagement of the truth in order to accommodate because people in the last days want to hear what, what tickles their ears. They want to hear what will help them keep their second wife, keep their uh, second lusts, keep their second habit. They want to keep the sin in their life, but they also want Jesus. Why can't I have Jesus if he's so merciful, if he's so gracious, if he's so wonderful? Why can't I have Jesus and my sin? Why can't I live with both? Don't we live under grace? And it begins to come, come up, just make so much sense to the one who wants to keep the sin. Many will follow. Be careful of crowds. Be, have the courage to go swim upstream. Have the courage to question even when everybody else is saying, wow, that's awesome, that's amazing. Don't be fooled by large numbers, large followers. Today the word follow has even greater meaning with Twitter and everything else and thrown into the mix. Yes? Many will follow. What will they follow? What will they follow? There? It's there in the verse. Sensuality. They will follow their sensuality. What does sensuality mean? The heightened senses. The presentation through senses. When they are presenting truth, but through your senses. How you feel about it. How you feel about it, when they, when they excite you, when they make you cry, then they make you laugh. Hey, I also do that. But when they make you, when, 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 when they use the, 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 the environment where you are willing to become vulnerable, what will you do in that situation? What happens to you in that situation? Many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. Two things will happen. One is the real guys, the real message will look boring, pathetic, bad, and probably outdated. 
These guys are so out of touch. And the second thing is, verse 3, in their greed, circle greed, in their greed, they will exploit you. So they put you in that situation where you're feeling so good, you feel you're in the presence of God, you feel you're right with God, you feel you got every blessing from God, and in that moment you're ready to part with anything like you're in some Disneyland show or some you know, candy shop where you just want anything and everything around there. They put you in that situation. The scientific research has got this of how they get you into that situation, and then, then they exploit you. How? At, at gunpoint? With their, read it, with their, verse 3, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. By that moment, brother and sister, you don't know that the words are false. You're just feeling so good. You're just feeling like, oh, you just touched heaven. You're just feeling that this, oh, this, this is, you're just filled with the grace of God and the feeling of the grace of God. You are in heaven. And they've put you in that situation where you're ready to say and give anything they want you to give. In their greed, they exploit you with their words. Their judgment will, from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Don't mess with God. Don't mess with God. Don't mess with God. If I should say it four times, don't mess with God. Verse 4. For if God, for if God, three things, three people, three sets. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell. Angels didn't get past God's judgment, yeah? But cast them into hell and committed them to the pit of darkness, reserved for judgment. Number two, and if God did not spare the ancient world, what's he talking about? What's he talking about? But preserved Noah, which story is that? The flood. God wiped out an entire world. He didn't think twice about that. Did he give you a chance? Yes, he gave you a chance. Did he give, uh, did he give anybody salvation? He took Noah and the... Seven of, uh, six of them, seven of them, took all eight of them out through that. Where there's judgment, there's mercy, but there will be judgment. For if God did not spare angels, if God did not spare the ancient world, and number three, if God did not spare Sodom and Gomorrah, and he spared Lot through that, verse nine, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation, and the Lord knows how to keep the unrighteous under, judgment for the ju- under punishment for the judgment day. God knows the difference. God is not fooled. God is not looking at the lights. God is not looking at the the Twitter followers. He's not looking at how many books sold. God is looking at your heart and he knows the message. He kind of gave it in the first place. He knows the message. He knows whether you have gone from him or not from him. And what he wants you and me to have is the spirit of discernment. The spirit of discernment. Is it from God or is it not from God? Because it won't be completely not from God. Some of it will be from God and some from the guy standing on the stage. Some from the guy standing, or the woman standing on stage. Some of it, and you need to know the difference. Now, if I told you that the market has been filled, the economy has been filled with fake 300 rupee notes. Fake 300 rupee notes. How quick would you be to find one? How quick would you be to tell that it's a fake 300 rupee note? Pretty easily, huh? Because there's no real 300 rupee note. It's a fake. Everyone's a fake. Because there's no truth. There's no 300 rupee note. But if I was to tell you that the market has been pumped in, there's thousands and thousands of notes of fake 2,000 rupee notes. What would you do? I think here's what you would do, here's what I would do. I would look into my pocket, I would look into my wallet, I'd go back to my home where I have a little savings, and I would make sure that all the notes I have are genuine. There could be a lot of fakes outside, at least what I have should be genuine. That's what the word is saying. That's what the word, the, the, the spirit of discernment, the ability is to know at least what I believe has been truly tried and tested. It is true. 
It is true. Not just Pastor Jerry says, not just this or this pastor, that pastor says, but it is in the word. I saw it for myself. I know it for myself. Now I take out the middle ground and I make you look at the scripture directly. Right here. Do you see any of my thoughts on this paper? Any of my own notes, do you see it? Except for the title. There's no my thoughts on this paper. It is only scripture. So Sunday after Sunday, you will look right through scripture so that there's not even me in the middle. Are you getting how serious I am about this? This is how serious it is because I am what he's going to talk about right now in the next few verses. This is how mad he gets because the most heinous crime that anyone could do is misrepresent God, misrepresent the truth. That is the worst crime. For that it says you will be accursed to hell forever. For that it says it's better than a millstone until we hung around your neck and you will be drowned to the bottom of the sea. That's the kind of, he doesn't say that for, for people who, you know, have affairs or people who drink or people who, you know, do other naughty things. But for the ones who misrepresent God, he has some vile, horrible destruction in play for them. He says, they are creatures of destruction. They were created to be killed. It says that. So that kind of horrific language, harsh language, is kept for people who abuse and misuse the word of God. And I, brothers and sisters, will not be one of them. So I'll give it to you right there, as is. So you can even turn around and question, no, that's not what it says. Are you with me? I could be one of these. Therefore, I am fearful every time I open the word. I'm not nervous to preach. I've got the gift of the gab, as my mom says. I can get up and I can rant. But to open God's word and say, thus says the Lord, I better think twice because I'm going to be held to accountability. For no man, no will of man, no act of man, no interpretation of man. For if God did not spare angels, if God did not spare the ancient world, if God did not spare Sodom and Gomorrah, then he knows how to know the difference. God knows the difference. And he calls the ones who are false teachers all of this look at what he says number one he says keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment he begins to describe them number one verse 10 he says and especially those who indulge the flesh they make you feel good they they appeal to your body this is how spiritual life operates god with his spirit interacts with your spirit and gives life and revelation to your spirit romans chapter 8 and when your spirit comes alive, it's called regeneration. Your spirit then begins to understand it was dead all this time. Now it's alive. It is in communion with God. Now everything else that you have must be subservient to your spirit. What else do you have? You have your mind. That is the seat of your emotions, your volition. And you have your body. One body for your whole life. Right? What's going to last forever? Your spirit is going to last forever. Your mind and emotions are going to be there for this lifetime. And then your body is for your lifetime not for eternity so when preachers when teachers appeal to your body to get to your spirit they've got the whole thing upside down do you get the gravity of this situation how do you bring in false teaching not from the spirit down to the body from the body up through to the spirit and who do you then convince who are you able to tackle those who are so weak with the body they just can't say no to themselves from comfort to laziness, to sex, to, to uh, indulgences, to anything. They just cannot say no to their body. Their body rules them like a pimp. Those are the kind of people who are the most vulnerable to false teaching. That's why Paul says, I beat my body into submission. He wasn't talking about masochism. He wasn't talking about self-torture. He was saying, I bring my body into submission. Romans chapter 8 says, the spirit of God brings truth to your spirit. It revives your spirit, brings your spirit back to life, and begins to commune with your spirit, the inner man, Ephesians chapter 3. And that once he gives life there, then he gives life to your, to your will, to your emotions, to your thinking. He renews your mind, Romans chapter 12 verse 1. And from there, the, the God who gave life to your spirit and to your mind will also give life to your body. And that means he will bring your body to bear and to partner with you in what God is wanting to do with you spiritually. Now when you have a gospel that is geared for the body, 
for the senses and indulges the flesh, you can be pretty sure you're headed in the wrong direction. This life is your body. Eternal life is your spirit. When everybody is talking about this life, this life, this life, this life, nice life, good life, better life, great life, promises in life, blessings in life, this life, this life, you can be sure they're lying to you. They're lying to you. And the only way you would get sucked into a message or a gospel like that is if you weren't truly saved. Or you are saved, but your body is your idol. So know this, when you live for the flesh, you are opening yourself up for deception. So what does he say about these guys? He says, number one, they indulge the flesh by corrupt desires and they despise authority. These pastors, these leaders, they have no accountability. They have no one they are answerable to and you can definitely not question them. Okay, got it? I'm not going to take names. And I'm not going to name churches or theological frameworks or denominations, but you must know the difference of whether your 2,000 rupee note is genuine or nakla. This is what he says about these guys. Number one, they indulge the flesh. Corrupt desires decide. Number two, daring self-willed, they do not tremble. These fools don't, are not scared when they revile angelic majesties they revile what does the word revile mean make fun of ridicule talk down to they revile angelic majesties do you know who he's talking about he's talking about demons angelic majesties he's talking about demons so peter is saying that this 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 fool doesn't understand what he's up against and like an idiot, he speaks down, commands demons, speaks to demons, talks to demons, hangs out with demons, has coffee with demons. And he's like, as if like they played marbles together or something. He's telling them what to do and what not to do. These angelic majesties. Because Lucifer is still Lucifer. When he was in heaven, he was an archangel and he covered God. He was one of the six cherubims. When he, was, when he dropped down because of sin, I will, I will, I will, Isaiah 14, then he did not lose his creation. He is still an angel, but he's a fallen angel. He did not put on a red suit, get a three-pronged fork, and go around scaring people. He is still an angel of light. Get it? He is still an angel. He's still an angel of light. And if he was to stand in front of you, you wouldn't know the difference between him and another angel. Say Gabriel, for instance, or Michael. You wouldn't know the difference because he doesn't, hasn't changed his colors. He didn't dye his hair. He, he is still an angel. Do you get that? Do you get the gravity of that? So a police officer is supposed to be a police officer and he's wearing the worthy of a police officer and he's supposed to be genuine. But what if a person who is genuine has now been caught on the wrong side of the law but still has his uniform on you're going to trust him. So he's not going to come all spooky like, you know, uh, the comic books, but he is going to present to you like an angel of light with the whole truth presented to you with a slight bit of lies. Just as he said in the Garden of Eden, I know God said that, but did he really mean what he meant? Maybe he meant... Maybe you heard, maybe network was wrong, maybe the memo was, was not complete, you know, when some message goes off into the next text, and he sowed doubt, and he took care of that. Second thing he says is, they are daring self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. How do I know that that's demons? Because of verse 11, whereas angels, get that? You get the contrast? Whereas Angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. Angels don't have the audacity to talk to demons the way these, these, these pastors on stage and everywhere else talk to demons. What does he say about them? He says they, have, they speak when they have no knowledge. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reveling where they have no knowledge. 
Will in the destruction of these creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains, they are stains and blemishes, reveling. You, you get the picture here. You're like, these guys are not, they, they carouse you. Verse 14, their eyes are full of adultery. They're living in the flesh. They're enjoying the flesh, but they want to think that you want you to think that they are spiritual gurus. They are not, that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They're like a Casanova that goes around, you know, abusing the vulnerability of middle-aged women or single women who, who are scared, who, who are looking for, for some solid, some, some stability, and they go and prey on them. That's the picture given here. Enticing unstable souls, having a heart, say it again, heart trained in greed. That's the motivation. That is the motivation. At the end of the day, they want you, they want your money. At the end of the day, they want to smell better than you, look better than you, and be loved more than you. They are fakes. They are fakes. Fourth thing he calls them is accursed children. Forsaking the right, they have gone astray. Fifth thing he calls them, verse 17, they are springs without water. Sixth, mist driven by a storm. My goodness. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice with fleshly desires by sensuality. Those who barely escape. You're just getting out of darkness into light. You're just finding your way. You're just starting your relationship with God. You are such a baby in Jesus. If you heard the word Jesus, you get excited. And then these guys come and say it like you want to hear it. And babies who are just getting started are absolutely deceived. And what happens to them? <clears throat> Verse 18. Speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice fleshly desires by sensuality. Those who barely escape from ones who live in error, promising them what? Freedom. Promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what is man overcome? For whatever is man overcome, he is. And say, let's close this. Verse 20. For if, for if, after they have escaped the defilement of the world by the knowledge of the Lord Jesus and the Savior Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, their last state has become worse than their first state. Their last state, what they land up being was worse than when they started. First they were just sinners going around doing their own thing. Then they found Jesus, received grace, came to him, were thoroughly deceived. Now they are sinners who think they are right with God. Whoa! Now they are sinners continuing in their sin and think they are right with God. Their last state is worse than their first state. And what do they do? They basically return to the flesh, return to the sin that they started out. And you can only use two pictures for that, verse 22. A dog is returning to his own vomit and a sour, that's a pig. You wash up a pig, it looks all nice and pink, and it returns to wallowing in the mire. Let me give you six things that I think, this is just my suggestions, that I think God wants us to know. Number one, God doesn't bargain with flesh and blood. God doesn't bargain with flesh and blood. He won't change the message. You change. He will not change. Number two, God's word requires bold and courageous preaching. God's word requires bold and courageous preaching. Are you with me? So I'm going to tell it to you out of fear for Jesus and not fear of you. I will try to make good English, I will try to keep it short, I'll try to keep it interesting, I'll throw a joke in there for auditory skill, I will try and be one of the best communicators, that is one of my desires, but I will not subvert, change, contaminate, twist, modify the truth. That is why I need to ensure that my audience is not compromising me. That means I don't have a relationship with anybody that might compromise my truth, my ability to tell the truth. Nobody in the congregation is supporting me or putting me in a situation of, Pastor, don't preach on that. You know, I'm very uncomfortable with that. Or, Pastor, don't go against that, that or don't, don't you know, be too strong on this area or that area. No, uh, 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 uh. Uh, uh. Once upon a time, a family came to me and says, Pastor, this uh, TV, TV uh, person is coming. They have TV ministry and all that in uh, Hyderabad because everybody in Hyderabad has got TV ministry. And... Um, uh, they're coming to Delhi and all that. We've been so blessed by their ministry. So blessed we are. And I said, but, but you know that we are not on the same theological thing. They don't teach what I teach. We don't agree with them 
in some very important matters. I said, yeah, we know, but you know, but we've been very blessed. Whatever that means. We've been very blessed by the ministry. They're coming. Can you please let them teach in, your, in church? I said, no. They left the church. God does not bargain with flesh and blood. And I will maintain greater fear for Jesus than I will maintain for any religion, any cops. And even if I have to be persecuted, if God would give me the honor to die for him, I would like to do that. I will not volunteer. Because <laughs> that's just stupid. <laughs> but given the situation. So I want you, my, my precious members and those who receive teaching from me to know that that's my stand and that's what I'm told to do. God's holy word has never, has never created or required mass hype. So when God's word is preached, when the ministry is done, it never requires to get the people riled up first. It doesn't require mass hype. If you see thousands and hundreds and thousands of people moving in a particular direction, please question it. Please look at me, listen to me. Mass hype is not God's way. Mass hype is never the way the world has responded to truth. Truth actually shuns you. It brings you to your knees. The presence of God brings you to your knees. Your body is, can't struggle, can't handle a virus. Your body can't handle a virus, an infection. One infection, you pastor, can't come, you I understand that. You think it can handle the presence of God? Angels tremble in the presence of God. Old Testament saints were told not to come near the mountain because their bodies could not handle it. They could not have, they will die if they saw the presence of God. God sent Jesus in a body so that he can connect with you to tell you what God is. And he says, we want to see the Father. You can't see the Father, but if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I am it. I want to see you, Exodus 33, I want to see your face. You can't see your face, but if, you, if I hide you in the cleft of a rock, I will pass my back towards you and you can see my back. That's as close as a man of God who talked face to face with God. And you and I think, jumping up and down like monkeys, hundreds and thousands of us, dim the lights, everybody screaming, can experience the presence of God? Lies. The way worship happens on earth doesn't even happen in heaven. And when everybody's screaming, their hands raise eye all within the same age bracket, and you turn the lights off, that is a picture of hell, not heaven. That is a glimpse of hell and not heaven. Be very careful when you say, I experienced the presence of God. No, you did not. You can say I experienced the truth of God. You can say I heard the word of God. But you cannot say I experienced the presence of God because even your spirit can't handle it. Your body will fall on it. Joshua. Joshua, a man of God, led 600,000 people and got them their lands and houses. He destroyed armies all around. He was God's man with God's favor. He faced Jesus pre-incarnate, fell on his face and said, what can I do? Saul met Jesus. Everyone who met Jesus, who is God's, God's image to us, fell on their face. And people have the audacity to say that they were in the presence and they felt the presence of God. Here's what Satan wants. Satan wants you to live in your sin and feel that you're right with God. God wants you to repent of your sin and live in hope of the presence of God. And if you can't tell the difference, then you need to get back to scripture. God's word will never create hype or require mass hype. Number four, God's word cannot be replaced by anything else, even worship. God's word cannot. That's why we have 50 minutes of preaching, 10, 15 minutes of worship. Listen to me, I'm telling you. You're saying, but some churches have so good worship, good worship. 45 minutes, one hour, you have long worship. It doesn't do anything for you or the angels in heaven. God's word changes life. Worship does not. And if you worship without God's word, your worship is, is rendered redundant. So you just wasted your time. 
Please think about the seriousness of this. God's word cannot be replaced by anything else, even worship. Number five, God's word requires an encounter with the cross. No cross, no God. Inner conviction, no conviction against sin, you're on the wrong track. Death itself to self. No better life. No better life. Jesus' life. For if a seed will not die and be, be buried, it cannot bring about fruit. Number six, God doesn't expect this message to be popular. He's fine with it. God is absolutely fine with keeping the truth the truth. The truth doesn't change. You and I should. So what is the commitment I must make? This is not the word of God. This is my suggestions. Three suggestions. You can come up with a fourth if you want. Number one, to knowing the truth straight from God's word. You study it. You know it. Number two, to having the courage to swim against the tide. What is the tide? Not the world, the church. The church. If your generation and your, your, your church is going in one direction, have the courage to say, no, I don't think this is right, and be willing to stand up and go in the other direction. Number, four, number three, to refuse to evaluate. Listen very carefully, read very carefully. To refuse to evaluate spiritual realities, spiritual truths, spiritual matters through physical senses through physical lenses. Refuse to do that. You said God worked? No, you're not going to feel it. You said God said? Anything you're saying is spiritual? You're not going to experience it physically. God did not give you the Holy Spirit to communicate with your body. He gave you the Holy Spirit to communicate with your spirit. If you're sensing God through your body, it is because you are spiritually dead. And the word of God brings life. Read the word, stay in the word, meditate on the word, and the word of God will give life to your spirit, and you will have a real, genuine relationship with God. And you won't even need your body. Your body will lay on, its, lay on the floor on its knees. Get it? Get it? You know those people who got on their knees and for hours, I know you're tired. I know you're tired. I'm also tired. I'm hungry also. But you know those, those people who just got on their knees and for hours they were in prayer and they communed with God and they got up with a deep respect. They couldn't lift their heads because they, they sensed that they had touched the throne of God. What happened to their bodies through that entire time? Nothing. Nothing. Their bodies just sat there. And that's what God wants. He doesn't want you up and down, jumping up and down. He doesn't even want you to feel anything. He wants your body to take a break and come fellowship with me. Spiritual fellowship. Spiritual fellowship.